Uh, today we're going to look at the last sermon, do the last sermon in the book of Esther. It should be a sigh. No, Nobody's going to miss Esther but me. I love Esther, so this is a hard day for me to finish it. But if you'd like to open your Bibles to Esther chapter 9, uh, we're going to uh, read from 9.20 to the end of the book. Chapter 10 is very short, so we'll read 9.20 to the end of it. Uh, you remember that the Jews were in great danger, and yet God delivered them. So they're completely safe now. All their enemies are gone. And this chapter is about celebrating what God has done for them and remembering what God, how God was faithful to, the, to them and, and rescued them from certain death. So let's read uh, this passage together. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, ob obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and also the 15th day of the same, year by year, as the day in which the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness, and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman the Agagite, the son of Habadatha, the enemy of the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast pur, that is, cast lots, to crush and to destroy them. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head, and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore they called these days Purim, after the term Pur. Therefore, because of all that was written in this letter, and of what they had faced in this matter, and of what had happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them, that without fail they would keep these two days according to what was written, and at the time appointed every year that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, in every clan, province, and city, and that these days of Purim should never fail, should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail, and Mordecai the Jew, gave full written authority, confirming the second letter about Purim. Letters were sent to all the Jews, to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Hasuerus, in words of peace and truth, that these days of Purim should be, kept, should be observed at their appointed seasons, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther obligated them, and as they had obligated themselves and their offspring with regard to their fasts and their lamenting. The command of Queen Esther confirmed these practices of Purim, and it was recorded in writing. King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea, and all the acts of his power and might, and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai, to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. This is God's word. Let's look at it. I think this is going to be very practical for us. This sermon is going to be a little bit unusual 
in that it will be more instructional, there will be more application for you, but we will still get to the deep truth of the gospel as well. Now on the surface, this, the conclusion of this, this book is really just explaining how they should celebrate Purim. Now, Purim is a Jewish holiday that's celebrated even to this day. In fact, our church celebrates Purim as well. We have a lot of fun with it. We dress up, we read the book of Esther, we boo at the name of Haman. So it's during Lent uh, in, in the spring, so come to that when we're going to do that again this year. Most Christians don't celebrate it, however. And uh, this book gives us, gives us a description of what to do on that holiday for the Jews, that they were supposed to get together and give gifts to the poor and food to each other. And also tells us why it was two days. And this is important. It seems like Esther and, uh, and Mordecai are clarifying why some Jews celebrate on the 14th day and others on the 15th. Because there were two days of avenging the enemies. Remember from last sermon that the Jews in the city in Susa got an extra day for, for killing their enemies. So that's why urban Jews celebrated Purim at a different day than rural Jews. So on the surface, you look at it, and this is just an instructional thing. You know, Mordecai is telling them what to do, how to do it, that they should keep this holiday. A little bit of a bigger picture, if we step back a little bit, look at our own lives at our own church. We, too, celebrate specific holidays. We, too, get together on specific dates during the year, and we do certain things to remember certain events in the history of, of God's people. And so the question arises, are we also obligated to celebrate Christian holidays? Should we follow the Christian calendar? You know that many traditional churches do that. Many evangelical churches don't do that. You have Christmas and Easter, but that's about all you get in most evangelical churches. So the question is, is it good for us to follow Christian calendar, to celebrate Advent and Christmas and Lent, Holy Week, Easter, Ascension, Pentecost, as we do in this church? Is it profitable for us? Is it helpful for us? Or is it just add extra things for us to do that distract us from what's important? So that's what I want to tackle today. You will see it in this text. We'll, we'll draw it from this text, but we're also going to be very practical as to how it helps us today. Here's our outline. Observance of biblical holidays or keeping the Christian calendar. Number one, produces gospel mindset. Number two, jogs gospel memory. And number three, encourages gospel mission. So let's talk about the gospel mindset, gospel memory, and gospel mission. I'm going to start by telling you about a professor who taught at McCormick Seminary, which is a divinity school at the University of Chicago here in town. And later he taught at Harvard. He was an Old Testament professor and an archaeologist. His name was George Ernest Wright. He published a book in 1952, which turned out to be a very influential work, even read today. Its title is, The God Who Acts. The God Who Acts. Wright argued that the God of the Bible is not a God who simply speaks, as many of his colleagues at the time believed, but he is a God who acts, who works in history. According to Wright, the Bible is not a collection of abstract ideas or doctrines. It is not a systematic theology, as some of us try to make it out to be. 
The Bible is a record and a reflection on God's works in history. Wright wrote that the focus of the biblical man's attention was on what God had done, was doing, and was yet to do according to his declared intention. Wright claimed that the realism of the Bible consists in its close attention to the facts of history and of tradition, because these facts are the facts of God. Now, being an evangelical Bible-believing Christian, I think Wright is going a bit too far by saying that God doesn't speak, God just acts. I think God also speaks. We have a record of his words in Scripture as well as the record of his works. But Wright's critique is helpful in the sense that it restores this understanding that God works in history, that God does things, God accomplishes his purposes. The God of the Bible is a God who is involved in the events of history. He works in time and space. He accomplishes certain things that God arranges circumstances and ensures particular outcomes of events. Now listen to the poet in Psalm 86. This is very much the understanding of Scripture. Psalm 86, verse 8. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. What the psalmist is saying is that we know what God is like because of what he did. That his works, his wondrous works, wondrous deeds, communicate to us what he is like and that, in fact, he is and he exists. And that's why he is the only God that Israel worships. Israel's faith was rooted in historic events. Christianity is a historical religion. It depends on the reality of God's work in history. Remember in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 when Paul talks about the resurrection of Jesus. And he says if the resurrection of Jesus did not happen, if it is not a historical act, he's saying, what are we doing? What are we talking about? It doesn't matter. None of what we preach matters. Because if Jesus did not rise, literally, did not rise from the dead, not in a spiritual, figurative way, but it's not a historic reality, our faith is empty. There's nothing to it. It's just words. He says we are to be pitied. We're to be, we're to be, we're just pitiful men and women. Now, Christianity is a historical religion. And when we look at the book of Esther, we see that what they're celebrating at this holiday at Purim are the specific events in their history. This is how it's described in verse 24 and on. For Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast pur, which is cast lots, and that's the Persian word for lots, to crush and to destroy them. For when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. They're not celebrating an abstract spiritual reality. They're looking back at their history and they're saying, we were doomed to death and then something happened and our enemies, the real enemies, were punished and they died, they were killed on the gallows. 
And that's why we're celebrating, because we were doomed, we were about to die, and now God saved us. And of course, this is not just accidental things. It's not just random events they're looking back at. Very much so, as we've looked through the book of Esther already, we see God working behind the scenes, during ordinary means, using ordinary means. God is using real events, using the sleeplessness of the king and the records of of the Medes and the Persians to remind the king that Mordecai had saved his life. God is using Esther and her position in the court to save the people. God is behind all of that. And so the Jewish people look back and say, we're going to remember what God had done. Specific events. And we're going to celebrate God's deliverance from our very real enemies. They have names. These enemies have names. It's a historical thing. Observance of the Christian calendar, likewise, helps us to maintain this biblical mindset, this idea that God works in history, that God is real, that there's real events that happened, that God was involved in. This biblical mindset, this understanding of existence that not only includes God, but puts God right in the middle of all human history. Our God is a God who acts, a God with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. Our God is a God of power, a God of miracles, a God of wonders, a God of history. So as Christians, as we celebrate these holidays throughout the year, we are reminded that God is like that, that God acts, that God works, that there are certain things that happen that are meaningful to us today, that God saved us from specific enemies. Now, as Christians, more specifically, we focus on God's works in Christ. So this mindset is not just a biblical mindset, but it's a Jesus mindset, it's a gospel mindset. All of our holidays that we celebrate here at the church have to do with Jesus. We're very careful not simply just to follow tradition and celebrate holidays that many other Christians celebrate, but they have nothing to do with the gospel. We want to focus on the gospel itself. So we celebrate Christmas. Jesus was born. Good Friday, Jesus died. Easter Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead. Ascension, Jesus went back to be with his Father. Because we know that God's ultimate work of salvation is done through our Lord Jesus. How do we know that our God is a God who acts? Because our God acted in Jesus. So the observance of Christian calendar nurtures a particular Jesus mindset, a gospel mindset. It's another way for us to align our lives with the reality of Jesus. Now I know some of you are skeptical, even though you belong to this church, but you're skeptical of things like Lent and Advent. Advent starts next Sunday. So I want to walk you through this. I want to help you see how helpful it could be to actually get engaged and follow the Christian calendar. So first is the mindset that we realize that God is a God of history, that God works, that things happen that are true and they matter to us now. Secondly, it helps us with gospel memory. It jogs our spiritual memory. Not only that we believe that God is a God who acts, but we look back to specific things where God acted, to specific gospel events that matter to us, that reflect something specific about God and about ourselves. So in other words, by scheduling celebrations of certain gospel events, we protect ourselves from forgetting their importance. Go back to Exodus with me, just for a little bit. Exodus 13. 
when God brought his people out of Egypt through a series of miraculous events, right when they're leaving, this is what Moses says on behalf of God. He says, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. This just happened. Okay, they, They're leaving. The, the firstborn were slaughtered. Finally, Egypt lets them go, and they're leaving, they're marching. And Moses is saying, remember this day. Why is it so important for God through Moses to tell them to commemorate that day year after year? In fact, God institutes a week-long celebration, what, what the Jews call the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's a seven-day celebration, remembering the Exodus, remembering the Passover, and, and God took them out, how they were in the desert. Now, why is it that from the very first year, God says you must remember that you must commemorate them? The answer is very simple. We are forgetful people. We are easily distracted. And God knows that very well. So to help us in God's grace and goodness, he says, commemorate it. Celebrate it every year on this particular day so you would not forget what I have done for you in Egypt. And so God institutes feasts and holidays for his people. Now you know that the Bible is full of those reminders. God is gracious to help us remember certain things that he's done. And we as forgetful people, we know, especially the Old Testament people, they knew that they had to do certain things to jog their memory. I think of a, my, one of my professors at Moody. I don't think he is there any longer. But he, he said that on the way to work, he would drive in from the suburbs every day and he would see the Sears Tower. And he said that at some point in his life, he just decided that when he saw Sears Tower, I'm sorry, Willis Tower, when he saw that, that he would think about the return of Jesus. So he kind of connected this giant building that he would see every day on the way to work with the promise that Jesus would return. And every day, when he would drive in, he would think, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to fulfill his promise. He will come back. Now, how do you think that affected his day? I think probably in a pretty positive way. I think it probably affected his view on what's important and what's not, how to treat people, how to treat your own sin. And because he had that physical reminder of a spiritual truth, it was really helpful to him. We see that all over the Old Testament. In Genesis 28, for example, Jacob has a vision. He has a dream at Bethel where, you remember the angels ascending and descending on the stairway to heaven? Um, there's a song about that, I think. No, I'm kidding. Okay, I'm sorry. It's just a distraction. I listened to a lot of Led Zeppelin when I was growing up. So, so there's, there's, there's this, this ladder and, and, and there's the angels of God descending and ascending. And so, so Jacob, to remember that, he finds a rock and he pours oil on it. He offers a sacrifice to the Lord and that becomes an altar. And now the name of that town is changed from Luz to Bethel. And so now there's a reminder what God has done, that God gave a vision to, Beth, to, to Jacob and he confirmed a covenant that he would give him this land. Now, this is important. Other people would know about this and they would remember. In Joshua 4, you remember that that passage where the Israelites, they cross over the Jordan River. And the priests carry the Ark of the Covenant into the river and God parts the waters and the whole people of Israel come through on dry land. And Joshua then takes 12 stones 
from the bottom of the river and he places them on the other bank. And the, the idea here is that when your children ask you, what are these stones doing here? That they were supposed to tell them, God delivered us out of Egypt and he brought us across the river on dry ground into this land of promise. So a physical reminder of God's work, of God's deliverance, is helpful. My last example from the Old Testament is 1 Samuel 7. And this is the prophet Samuel. After a great victory over the Philistines, in which, by the way, the Israelites were, were, did not show themselves to be particularly brave or strong, they were afraid to fight the Philistines, and yet God sent confusion into the camp of the Philistines. They started killing each other, and then the Israelites chased them out of their land. And so Samuel sets up an Ebenezer. You know how the old hymn we sing, Here I Raise My Ebenezer? Ebenezer means a stone of help. It's just a simple reminder that it's a stone reminding us that God delivered us. And for Samuel, it's important to have a physical reminder of what God has done for his people. Now, Christian calendar is a system of reminders for God's people. It helps us to stay focused and to remember specific events. And though all those events happened in the past, they have tremendous significance for our present and our future. When you celebrate a wedding anniversary, I think it often rekindles affection and romance in marriage. Your wedding happened a long time ago, but because you celebrate it now, you're able to restore some of that affection that, that you felt then. Celebrating a birthday restores appreciation for the person. You reflect on their good qualities and you honor them and you compliment them. Celebrating Independence Day encourages one's commitment to their country. All those things that we remember from a while back, but we celebrate every year, help us to live differently today, and it shapes our future in a certain extent. Robert Weber, who's a, who's a pretty popular Christian writer, specifically writing on worship, he says this about the Christian calendar. He says, in worship, we sanctify the present by enacting the past, which gives shape to the future. In worship, we sanctify the present by enacting the past, which gives shape to the future. So by remembering something that happened a long time ago, we're bringing it into the present, and we're sanctifying it. We're making the present holy with God's actions. And now our future outlook is different. So let me walk you through the Christian holidays, really briefly, to give you a sense of how those Past events affect our future and affect our present as well. Advent. Advent is the four Sundays before Easter. It starts next week. We're going to be decorating the church tonight for Advent. We're going to start singing Christmas carols. You had a little bit, a little feel for it and add some music today. And, uh, and we're going to focus on God's faithfulness. Advent is a time to reflect on God's fulfilling his promises to Israel. When Jesus came the first time, he fulfilled that longing of God's people for a Messiah, for a Savior, for a new kind of king. And just as God fulfilled those promises, he will also fulfill other promises in the second coming of Jesus. Every Advent, we look back on Jesus' first coming, but we also look forward to his second coming. Advent encourages us to anticipate and trust in God's future faithfulness. All his promises to us 
will come true. I think that's very helpful for us, isn't it, as Christians? In the time when you're struggling and you may not feel that God is answering your prayers, you may not feel that God has been faithful in your life, you look back at the promises God gave to Israel and their fulfillment in Jesus and saying, Jesus is yet coming back and we're expecting him and he is going to be faithful. He's going to prove to be faithful. That's Advent. Then comes Christmas. Jesus came. God became human. He remained God, but he also became human. Two natures in the same person. Christmas is about God's presence. Not presence, but God's presence. Jesus unites himself with his creation. Christmas reminds us that God loves us and wants to be with us. You know, one of the amazing things about what God did in Jesus in the incarnation when God became human is that God never stopped being human after the work of salvation was finished. As Jesus is now at the Father's right hand in heaven, and we'll talk about what that means when we talk about ascension, but as he is now in heaven, he is still human. Did you know that? That, that God, when he came in Jesus and he took on humanity to save us, he never took it off? That he will forever remain human, as far as we can tell from Scripture? That he still has scars? And, and Jesus' glorified body, he still has a body, like we will? That he has scars to prove the redemption to us? It's amazing. That's how close God comes to people. He becomes one of us. And every year, when we reflect on the truth of Christmas, and you reflect on God becoming human, we remember that He is with us, that He is present with us, that He has not loved us, that He loves us, that He wants to be with us, that He will come back and take us with Him. Then we come to Lent and Holy Week. Lent is the 40 days well, actually 46 days before Easter. Lent includes Holy Week, which is that Passion Week of Christ when we celebrate, uh, there's Holy Thursday where Jesus washed the feet of his disciples and they ate Last Supper. There's Good Friday when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. There's, there's Holy Saturday when Jesus was in the tomb, meaning that he was completely dead, that he was really dead. And then, of course, there's Easter after that. Lent and Holy Week is about Jesus' sacrifice for our sin. During Lent, we reflect on our sinfulness and grieve the pain that we caused the Lord. And then Good Friday comes and it's a reminder that Christ paid for all, that he died for our sins, that his sacrifice, as greater as our sin is, his sacrifice is greater and it covers all of it forever. Even the sins that you're dealing with right now, there is forgiveness for us great sinners. That's Lent. What a fruitful time it could be for you to reflect on your sin, to reflect on your life and see, like Atzin was saying, what are the barriers in your life before you, between you and God? What are, what are the things that rob you of the joy of your salvation? And addressing those issues and asking for God's help for us. And then comes Easter. Easter is about Christ's victory over death, over sin, over the world, over evil, over the devil himself. Jesus rose from the dead and declared victory. And this resurrection power is available to us now 
even as we fight our enemies. What an encouraging thing. And how often do we forget that? And yet there comes Easter. And we remember, at least once a year, you're going to remember that. You're going to remember that Jesus is stronger than your enemies. That Jesus conquered even big things like death. And so we celebrate Easter. Ascension comes 40 days after Easter. That's when Jesus returns to be at the right hand of his Father. Ascension is about Christ's power. Christ rules from the right hand of the Father. He's in control. He's our advocate and high priest, ensuring that we are forgiven and accepted with God. Ascension is a doctrine that is often forgotten in evangelical churches because we don't celebrate Ascension Day. And unless you preach through Hebrews, you're probably not going to talk too much about what Christ is doing right now. And so generations of Christians are raised without understanding Christ's ministry today. What is Christ doing right now? He's not physically here with us. He ascended. Why? He ascended so he could plead on your behalf with the Father. So that every time you pray, Jesus will pray with you and ensure that the Father hears your prayers. That the Father doesn't look at you as a sinner anymore, but he looks at you through Christ. He becomes your advocate, your high priest, one who always stands between you and the Father. Now, is that not encouraging to you? When you pray, don't you want to remember that? That as you are praying, Jesus is praying with you, and Jesus' prayers matter to the Father? So when we, when we hit ascension in the Christian calendar, it's a reminder. You're not on your own when you approach the throne of grace. Jesus is with you. He's ensuring and guaranteeing access to the Father. And then we get to Pentecost. Pentecost is the last holiday in the Christian calendar. And that comes 50 days after Easter, hence the name Pentecost. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. It's about the Spirit's work. Pentecost is about the Spirit's work. While Jesus is not physically here, the Spirit is here in his place. Remember, Jesus says, I will send you another helper, another counselor, another meaning one like me. And though Jesus says, I'm physically not going to be with you, I'm leaving you, the Spirit will come in my place and the Spirit will teach you what I have taught you. The Spirit will, will help you where I have helped you. And so the Spirit is active in our community as a church. The Spirit is active individually in us. And what a good thing for us to remember that. That He helps us, that He corrects us, that He convicts us, that He empowers us. The Spirit of God Himself present with us always. Now as you think about those holidays, all of these we celebrate at the church. As you think about those particular truths that they reflect, particular events that they remind us of, can we afford to neglect any of them? No. Can you afford to forget the gospel? If we forget the gospel, we come undone. The gospel is the most important thing in the world. It literally is. And so the more we can remember, the more aspects of the gospel we can focus on, the better we are, the better off we are. So why not commit yourself to live in the rhythm of Christ's life and death and resurrection every year.
Christian calendar helps us. And since we are just a week away from Advent, let me encourage you to make Advent and Christmas about Jesus. I know every preacher this and next month is going to talk about this, and they're going to say, don't make it about presents, and don't make it about even family, but make it about Jesus. And the reason we all say that is because we all get distracted, we all forget what Christmas is about. So be intentional about celebrating Jesus during the next month, even as your culture, as your world doesn't. But you be intentional. Do things that will help you to focus on Jesus. And the church will help with that. We will have special Advent services. and We will light the Advent candles to count the time to, to Christmas. We will have sermons that are going to focus on that from the first chapter of John. Now when you go home, especially if you have children or if you have roommates, do something physical that will remind you of God's incarnation, of what Jesus did, of his closeness to us, of all the promises that are fulfilled. Read an Advent devotional. There are many available. I think we might have some in the church. and uh, You can talk to me. I'll, I'll lend you one. Read a devotional that specifically focuses you every day on the Incarnation. Do an Advent calendar. You've seen those. You, know, you can probably buy them at Starbucks. I think that's where we got ours about five years ago. But it's, it's, it's a little thing with, with boxes or doors. And every day, counting to Christmas, you open something. And it's great for kids, because you put some chocolate in there. Give them something they want. But put a scripture verse in there. Put a prayer request in there. It's not hard to do. But every day, you come together as a family, and you say, okay, this is about Jesus. How does Jesus want us to pray? How does Jesus want us to love others? How does Jesus, what does Jesus want us to remember about himself? And you have that physical thing that's going to help you focus on the spiritual reality. Now, let's finish by talking about the gospel mission. So as we follow Christian calendars, the Jews celebrated holidays like Purim. We focused on the God who acts in history, a real God who does real things. We also remember particular events. It jogs your memory of gospel events like Ascension and Pentecost and Good Friday. But it also fuels our mission. It encourages us to be missional. Look at what the Jews did in our text. Purim is described as days of feasting and gladness. Days of sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So we see joy here. We see community here. Those are, those are typical things for holidays. But we also see mission. Gifts to the poor. They're commanded to share what they have with others. They were not simply concerned with themselves, but they sent gifts to the needy. Much like today, Christmas and Christmas time is a season when many people give extra to help others in need. I went to the grocery store yesterday and there was a Salvation Army bell ringer right at the store. It, you will see more of that. You will see organizations contacting you and asking for donations because it's appropriate during the time when we remember God sharing himself with us that we would also share with others. God ensures the survival of his people at Purim and so the Jews are ensuring the survival of others around them by sharing food with them and gifts. I'd like to encourage you to do that this Advent season and Christmas season. There's a couple opportunities here at the church. 
You have many opportunities outside of the church, but there are some through the church as well. Jeanette uh, has a, a connection to a soup kitchen. And I think it's in Humboldt Park. And she just recently sent out an email that most of you should get by now or have gotten it or read it by now, where they need people to fill in specific dates to feed others, to give gifts to the poor. So take her up on that. A couple people are going. Bring your children. She said it's fine to bring your children. Also, Ann Sleva, who's in the back right now, and you can talk to her afterwards. Uh, and we made that announcement. She set up a time for us to go and sing carols to people in the nursing home. Doris Abruzzi, one of our people, one of our missionaries we support, who was here last Sunday, shared how she, she talks to people in the nursing home about Jesus. This is our way to go and sing to them and give them hugs and love them. And why not do that? That's part of our mission, is to care for those who are not cared for. Of course, Christian holidays is also a great opportunity to talk to others about Jesus. You know that during the holidays, many people are more open to spiritual issues. So invite your relatives and co-workers to church or to your home, to your Bible studies. Be aware of spiritual questions people might be thinking this time of year. Be, be ready to answer them. Be missional. Live in a way that you're able to communicate and show the gospel of Jesus to others. I'm going to finish with this one idea that I'd like you to maybe think more about. I'll just, just talk a little bit about it before we take communion. But even apart from doing things for the poor and speaking to others about Jesus, if you observe the Christian calendar, just the mere observance of Christian calendar, will set you aside, will set you apart from others and pique the world's curiosity. You see, by observing things like Advent and Lent, we show that our idea of time is different. As Christians, we do not live on the same calendar. For people in the world, the year starts on January 1st. For us, the year starts next Sunday at Advent. Because we don't start the, the year when the secular world tells us to start the year. We start the year at the promises of God. God that promised from eternity past to redeem us. And so we long for that until Christmas comes and the promises are fulfilled. You know, our weeks are not organized around weekends or, or work days off. Our, our weeks are organized around Christ's resurrection. Sunday is the resurrection day. It's the Lord's day. So we gather as a church to worship Him and to rest. We're different. And if you are observing the Christian calendar, if you're following those kind of things, it does set you apart from others. People will ask questions. If you're doing Lent, and you're not doing it begrudgingly, and you're not doing that because you enjoy fish fillet sandwiches at McDonald's, that's not the reason for Lent. But if you do it in a spiritual way, you're focusing on Jesus, you're talking about your sin, and you're looking deep into your heart, if you're doing that that way, don't you think people are going to wonder why you're doing that? There's no profit for you except for the spiritual profit that you get from Jesus. You know, whenever my wife and I take the kids to, to a different park, we sometimes we go to Rogers Park, uh, to uh, the Indian Boundary Park. It's a, just a great place for kids to play. And, and we went on a Saturday one time, and, and, uh, and the synagogues must have just let out. So there's a lot of people dressed differently. We're in, we're in dark clothes. You know, the kids and men have, have long hairs kind of coming out of this way. And, and, and they, you, you can tell that they're, they're different. They stand out. 
Now, those are the Orthodox observant Jews. And there are neighbors in the city that they, there's, there are more of them there, and it's more prominent. And every time I see that, or you even see, you see a Muslim person who's dressed differently, it just makes me think of how different do I look to others as a Christian. Do they know I'm different? And I wonder about that. And, you know, it, always, it always just kind of shocks me when I, and I see, especially the, when I see a, a Jewish person that's obviously an observant Orthodox Jew, I think of it, man, it's just so easy to notice. It's so easy to start thinking, what is it so different about them? Why are they there on a, on a Saturday? What does it mean to keep the Sabbath? And I start thinking about those things. My wife talk about it. How is it that people perceive us? Do they see us different? Part of the difference that we have and that we can, we can show is by living according to a different concept of time. Living according to a different calendar where Lent and Advent matter to us. It changes how we live. There's certain decorations that come out, right? That's important. You're showing the world that you're observing something, that you're reflecting on the Gospel, and you have opportunities to talk about it. We are separate people. We're not supposed to live like the world, but we are engaged with the world. So we're open to talk, talk about what God has done for us. Now, I'm going to stop here, and we're going to come to the table. And I'm going to encourage you to use physical things that God has given us to, to remind us of spiritual realities, to remind us of specific events where God acted in our history. So as you come to the table, what do you see? Pieces of bread, right? Cups, that's what you see. Those are physical things. Is there something behind it? Sure. The broken body of Christ, the spilled blood of Christ, the redemption that we see on the cross and in the empty tomb, this is an Ebenezer. And God, in His grace and His goodness, told us to do this every week. And so we come, and in obedience we do that. We observe something very specific. There's a ritual involved in here. But we do that with the knowledge of faith, knowing that we're coming to the table, not just to go through the ritual, but knowing that God nourishes our faith, that as you come and you remember what Christ has done for you, he feeds you spiritually. That the Holy Spirit reminds you of the gospel. So as you come, I'm asking you to do that like that. If you're a Christian, transformed by the gospel, come joyfully to the table. If you're not a Christian, please don't just agree with me and follow the Christian calendar. That's not the point. But embrace the gospel. Embrace what God has done for you. Take him. Don't take communion, but take Jesus. And I pray that that reality, that historic reality of his cross and his resurrection would become real to you also. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would create in us a biblical gospel mindset, rooting our faith in historical events where you acted mightily. I pray that you would jog our memory of the various gospel events, so we would not forget that Jesus came, was born of a virgin, was God and man at the same time and the same person, that Jesus lived a life like ours, that he suffered, that he died for our sins, that he rose and conquered death and the world and evil and the devil, that Jesus ascended to be with you at your right hand so he can he can be our advocate and our priest. So we could pray knowing that access to you is guaranteed by Jesus. 
and that Jesus sent His Holy Spirit. Lord, Holy Spirit, we pray that You would come now and make the Gospel real to us. Make this bread and these cups more than just that. Make them conduits of grace. Make them reminders, Ebenezer's, of what You have done. And I pray that that those of us who are not saved would take Jesus, that You would come into their lives, bring them to life in Christ. Father, I pray that you would forgive us for being forgetful and distracted and unfocused. Help us use the reminders you've given us to live in the reality of the gospel all year. And we pray in the name of Jesus.